0: Inna alhamdulillah, na ahmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nasta'ughfaruhu, wa na'udhu billahi min shurur anfusina wa min sinyi'ati a'amalina. Man yahdihi allahu falamudillalah, wa man yudhulil falahadiyalah, wa ashadu an la ilaha illallahu ahdahu la sharika lah, wa ashadu anna muhammadan abaduhu wa rasooluhu, amma ba'd. So last time we finished the chapter regarding answering the call of nature and the different types of... Uh, recommended acts and the behaviors that a person engages in, and the behaviors that a person does not engage in when relieving himself. Uh, and we've completed that chapter now, and inshallah, ta'ala, we will now hope to complete the next chapter. So we will begin with this next chapter, which is Babul uh, Bab Ghusli wa Hukmul Junub. Bab al Ghusl wa Hukm al Janab, the chapter concerning the Ghusl and the rulings upon the individual who is in a state of Janaba, i.e., a state of the major uh, ritual impurification. So, what are the rulings regarding the Ghusl, the ritual bathing, as it may be termed as, uh, and also the rulings of the individual who is upon a state of Janaba? The Shaykh says, Al-Ghusl with a Dhamma, Al-Ghusl is the Masdr or it is the word which comes from the family tree of words of Iqtasala. And the meaning of it is, uh, The water, Waqtasala Iqtasalan wa Ghuslan wa Ghuslan ba'ma'na ista'mala al ma'a fi jami'i badanihi. Meaning that a person uses water all over his body. He uses water all over his body. To pour the water and to use the water all, uh, all over your body, and that is considered as ghusl. Al-ghusl is the pouring of water and the usage of water all over your body. وَأَمَّا الْغِسَلِ There's another word which is ghusl. As for ghisal, when you say ghisal, then that is the actual item that you use to clean yourself with. For example, soap. Ghisal is the actual item that you use with the water to clean yourself with, to puri- purify yourself with, and that is the soap and those types of items, that is the ghisal. As for the ghusl, the ghusl was the pouring of the water and the usage of the water all over the body. What about junub? Because the title of this chapter is the chapter of ghusl and the rulings of the junub. The junub, المراد به من أصابته وهو يستعمل للمذكر والمؤنث. Junub is a word which is used to indicate somebody who has been overcome by a state of janaba, a state of the ritual uh, sexual impurification. Wahuwa lafdun yusta'mal mudakir wal-muannath, and it is a word that can be used for males and females, junub. So you can say rajulun junub and you can say mraatun junub. Wa yusta'malul mufred and it can be used for singular and plural. So you can say rajulun junub or rijalun junub uh, just like Allah said in the Qur'an, in kuntum junuba," And if you are on a state of that impurity, uh, so the plural was used. فَهُوَ يُسْتَعْمَلُوا So it is a word, the junub, that can be used in male, female, singular, and plural. And the intent behind it is, somebody who has been overcome by the uh, major impurity of intercourse, or after intercourse. And as the Sheikh says, Al Janaba, who are mani Defqan Belidha. It is the exit of semen uh, forcefully, uh, meaning the semen comes out uh, forcefully with pressure uh, due to uh, uh, desire. Summiya Junuban, lianna who يتagendable by the Ashia. The reason why. The person who is in the state of major uh, sexual impurity is known as junub, is because he must then stay away from certain things. فَالْجُنُوبُ مَمْنُوعٌ مِنْ بَعْضِ الْأَشِياءِ فَهُوَ مَمْنُوعٌ مِنْ قِرَاءَةِ الْقُرْآنِ وَمِنْ مَسْلِ الْمُصْحَفِ وَمِنْ الْلُّبْثِ فِي الْمَسْجِدِ فَالْجُنُوبُ يَتَجَنَّبُ أَشِياءً لَا تَحْلُ لَهُ مَدَامَ جُنُوبًا. So a person who is junub. He must stay away from certain things, and that's what the word in Arabic means, tajannaba, to stay away from something. So the junub must stay away from the recitation of the Qur'an, or the touching of the mushaf, or remaining in the masjid. These types of affairs the Sheikh mentions, generally speaking, the one who is junub, must stay away from doing them things. He cannot do them. So that's why he's known as junub, from the word tajannaba to indicate that you are staying away or refraining from something. وسمّي بِالْجُنُوبِ لِأَنَّ الْمَاءَ جَانَبَ مَحَلَّهُ يَعْنِي أَنَّ الْمَنِيْ جَانَبَ مَحَلَّهُ وَخَرَجَ عَنْ مَكَانِهِ فسمّي جُنُوبًا مِنَ الْمُجَانَبَ وَهِيَ الْمُبَاعَدَةِ Also, جُنُوب has another reason for it, and that is because the uh, seminal liquid has exited from its original location, has exited from that location. And جُنُوب means to Uh, move away from one place to another. Junub in the Arabic language can also uh, indicate moving away from one place to another. So because the seminal fluid has now moved away from its original location after uh, or during or after the intercourse, then as a consequence of that, it is now known as Junub also. So that is the chapter that we are going to discuss now, the rulings regarding this uh, intercourse and the state of Janaba after it. And also the ghusl uh, which is connected to that. The first hadith that we have, Anabi Saeed al-Khudri, Radiallahu anhu, called, called Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Abu Saeed al-Khudri, Radiallahu anhu, says that the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, said, Al-ma'u min al Ma Rawahu Muslim wa asluhu fil Bukhari. That water is from water. But what does that mean? There's a specific meaning to this. It says there, min al water is from water, but actually what it means is, water is from semen. And we'll come to that now, the sheikh will explain why that is the case. So firstly, min al Ma'a. the first water, Literally you could understand the meaning of that to be the water is from water. But what does that mean? The water, the first one, means the ghusl. The water of the ghusl. The water of the ghusl. When you make the ghusl, the water that you use, that's the intent behind the first water. Is from water. The water is from water. So what does it mean that the water of the ghusl, it comes from another water. i.e. it is done for the reason of another water what's the other water that causes this water to have to be used and the ghusl to be done the second water is referring to the seminal fluid so the ghusl is as a consequence of the seminal fluid inmal al ma'u or al ma'u the ghusl it occurs as a consequence of the exit of seminal fluid that's what the hadith means i.e. وَمِنْ سَبَبِيَّا أي الماء بسبب الماء الماء الذي هو الماء الاختسال يكون بسبب الماء الذي هو المني So the water that you use to make the ghusl the need or the reason or the cause for you to have to use that water to make ghusl is if the seminal fluid has exited. If the seminal fluid has exited now you must make the ghusl. قَالُوا وَهَذَا مِنَ الْجَنَاسِ and they say that this is al Janas al meaning that it is two words that are exactly the same word, al al but the meanings are different. al min al water is from water, but they are different. One is the water of the ghusl, one is the water of the seminal fluid. وسلم, so the statement of the Prophet ﷺ, alma," that water is from water, i.e., "Inna al mani So the meaning of the Hadith would seem to indicate that the ghusl is only obligatory upon a person if seminal fluid has exited from him. The hadith would seem to indicate that the ghusl is only obligatory if seminal fluid exits from that person. Otherwise, if an individual, for example, in a dream, had intercourse, for example, but nothing exited from him in terms of liquid, then there would be no ghusl upon him. That's what the hadith seems to indicate that if the seminal fluids don't exit from a person, then there's no ghusl, even if certain activity occurs. So there are two issues here. masālatul ula, or the Shaykh mentions uh, the issue here, which is, yajibu مَنْ Somebody who the seminal liquid exits from him, from desire, then he must make the ghusl. That is the understanding of the hadith. That's what the hadith says. The water of the ghusl, the reason for that is the water of the semen. So if the seminal fluid exits, then the ghusl is upon him to do. That's what the hadith indicates. As for if an individual had intercourse in sleep, whilst the sleep and no fluids exited then there is no ghusl upon him rawahu muslim wa aslihu fi al-bukhari and the hadith is narrated by muslim but the origin of it is in al-bukhari wal hadith lahu qissa Mafaduha anna Atbani ibn malik radiallahu anhu jamaa zawjatahu wa lam yakhruj minhu shay fa qala lahu nabiyyu sallam idha aqtahta fa 'alayka al-wudu wa fi riwayah inma al-maa al-maa hadha sabab al-hadith uh, the reason for this narration is that Urtban Ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu had intercourse with his wife, but no seminal fluids exited. No seminal fluids exited. And that's why at the end of the narration the Prophet said to him, Innam al min al ma that the ghusl it is only required if seminal fluid exits. So everybody understand this hadith then. It seems to indicate that a person, even if he has intercourse, but seminal fluids are not released, then there's no ghusl upon him. That's what the hadith seems to indicate. Hadith which is in Sahih Muslim. The origin of it is in Sahih Al-Bukhari. But we must now also understand the next narration too, together. anabi In order to understand this one properly. وَعَنَا بِهُرَيْرَةَ qala اللَّهِ Abu Huraira رضي الله عنه, said, that the Prophet ﷺ said, The second narration says, the narration of Abu Huraira, that the Prophet ﷺ said, if he sits, i.e. the man, he sits between Shuabiha, between the body of the female between the body of the female, between the legs, etc. Thumma jahadaha. Then he causes movement to occur. al Then he must make the ghusl. Muslim added to this narration, that is in Bukhari a Muslim. In the version of Muslim it is added, wa لَمْ yunzel. Even if the seminal fluid doesn't exit. Even if the seminal fluid doesn't exit. So now, then, the hadith of Abu Huraira. Of Abu Sa'id. It appears to conflict with the hadith of Abu Sa'id. Because this one says, even if the seminal fluid doesn't exit, you still have to make the ghusl. That's what this one says. Whereas the hadith of Abu Sa'id said, you only have to make the ghusl if the seminal fluid actually exits. So we seem to have something which conflicts here. You also have another hadith actually. There's another authentic hadith which says that if the two private parts of the male and the female meet and they touch, then the ghusl is obligatory, even if there is no semen or anything. If the private parts touch, then the ghusl is obligatory. So now you have these narrations. You have these narrations that seem to indicate some of them that if the private parts meet, the intercourse occurs, even if the seminal fluid is not released, then the ghusl is obligatory. The narration of Abu Sa'id, however, seems to indicate that it is only necessary if the seminal fluid actually exits. So what is the correct position? لا شك بأن العمل عند جمهور العلماء على حديث أبي هريرة ولم يعمل بحديث بسعيد إلا قلة من العلماء bi على حديث بسعيد بثلاثة أجوبة The majority of the scholars are of the opinion that the narration of Abu Huraira is what you act upon the narration of Abu Huraira is the correct position. Meaning that if intercourse occurs, the private regions they touch, even if the seminal fluid doesn't exit, even if it doesn't exit, then the ghusl is obligatory. That is what the majority of the scholars they have stated. And very few took the position of the hadith of Abi Sa'id al-Khudri that even if intercourse occurs, as long as seminal fluids do not exit, then there is no ghusl. Many few, very few took that opinion. And the scholars, the majority of them who said that actually, even if se- uh, seminal fluid doesn't exit, as long as the private parts touch and the intercourse occurs, then the ghusl is obligatory. They answered or they explained the hadith of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri with three different answers. Al-jawab al-awwal. The first of those answers is, anna hadith bi-Sa'id mahmulun ala ma kana fi al-amr. وحديث بي على ما كان آخر الأمر فيكون حديث بهريرة ناسخاً لحديث أبي سعيد ولهذا سرح أبي ابن كعب رضي الله عنه كما رُوِيَ عنه أن حديث بسعيد كان سابقاً ومتقدماً على حديث The first response is that the hadith of Abu Sa'id where it says you don't have to make until the semen exits, and if it doesn't, then you don't have to make the ghusl. That was at the beginning of Islam, that was originally, that was the original ruling. But then afterwards it was abrogated, and the new ruling came about, which is the hadith of Abu Huraira, that if intercourse occurs and the private parts touch, then ghusl Ghusal is obligatory, even if semen has not been released. They say that this narration of Abu Huraira abrogated the original ruling. Originally, if intercourse occurred but semen was not released, then there was no obligation of ghusl. But then afterwards, the ruling was changed and abrogated. And if intercourse occurred and the private parts met, even if seminal liquid did not exit, ghusl was still obligatory. That is the first response. That the hadith of Abu huraira it abrogates the original hadith. فيكون حديث أبو هريرة ناسخاً لحديث أبو سعيد. so the hadith of Abu Huraira it obligates the hadith of Abu Sa'id. يعني شعب زوجته الأربعة, between her legs and arms. وهي وجهدها uh, and then he, uh, the, uh, the penetration occurs. then that's it. the is now obligatory. So the Prophet ﷺ here attached the ruling of the ghusl to the fact that the individual sits or uh, uh, penetrates, that in of itself is sufficient uh, for the ghusl to be obligatory. And the narration of Muslim is extremely clear where it says, even if the semen is not released there's another answer that they gave though too the second answer is anna dalalata hadith bi sa'id ala anna man lam yunzil la ghusla alayhi dalalata mafhuma wa amma haditha bi hurayra fa inna dalalatahu ala wujub al-ghusl alayhi wa in munzil yunzil dalalata mantuq fa dalalatu al-mantuq muqaddama ala dalalati al-mafhum aw muqaddama ala dalalati al-mafhum bal inna dalalata dalalata mafhum and mukhalafa لَا يَقُولُ بِهَا بعض الْعُلَمَاءَ كَالْحَنَفِيَّ مَثَلًا لِضَعْفِهَا فَلَا تَعَارُضَ بَيْنَ مَفْهُومٍ وَمَنْطُوْقٍ فَحَدِيثَ بِهُرَيْرَ مَنْطُوْقٌ وَحَدِيثَ بِسَعِيد مَفْهُومٌ They say that the hadith of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiallahu anha it is a hadith where the ruling has been taken out by derivation it has been derived it has been understood from the hadith that this is the ruling. Because the hadith says, you make ghusl if the seminal fluid has come. The water of the ghusl is only from the water of the seminal fluid. Which therefore would indicate that if the seminal fluid has not exited, then there's no ghusl. The hadith doesn't actually say that, but that's what the hadith indicates. Because the hadith says, ghusl is only obligatory from the other water, semen which would therefore indicate that if the water of semen does not exist, then therefore ghusl is not obligatory. So it is something which is deduced, something which is inferred, something which is derived from the hadith an understanding. Whereas the hadith of Abu Huraira, it's not just understood and derived, it is actually said. The wording of the hadith tells you, if the person sits there and penetration occurs, that's it. Wajabal ghusl. So the wording of the hadith of Abu Huraira clearly tells you that even without the seminal fluid exiting, ghusl is obligatory. The wording itself tells you the mantuq. Whereas the hadith of Abu Sa'id, it is just an understanding that is derived from it. Because the hadith says ghusl is only from semen. Therefore you would understand the opposite to be true as well. Which is that if there is no semen, therefore there is no ghusl. So that is an understanding of the opposite meaning. Whereas the hadith of Abu Hurairah, it is the actual wording there and there, straight. If the person penetrates, the ghusl is obligatory. So they say that the clear wording is given priority and precedence over something where you are uh, inferring or deriving the rulings via understanding. So that is another reason why the hadith of Abu Hurairah would be given precedence over the hadith of Abi Sa'id. رضي الله الجواب الثالث there is a third response you could give also وهو أنهم حملوا حملوا حديث أبي سعيد على حالة احتلام من النائم بأنه إذا احتلم النائم بأنه جامع امرأة ولم يخرج منه شيء فلا شيء عليه فلا شيء عليه ولا يجب عليه الاتصال إلا إذا خرج منه شيء أما حديث أبو ريرة فمحمل على حالة الجماع في اليقظة فالجماع في اليقظة يجب يجب به الاقتصاص سواء نزل أو لم ينزل the third explanation to explain this, they said that the hadith of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiallahu anhu is regarding a wet dream. Meaning, if a person has a dream where he envisions intercourse, a person has a dream where he views intercourse, engages in intercourse, however, no seminal fluid is released as a consequence of that, or within that. Then, when he wakes up, even though he had that dream of intercourse, but no seminal fluid was released, then he does not have to make ghusl. That is correct. He doesn't have to make ghusl. So some of the scholars said, maybe the hadith of Abu Sa'id, that's what it's referring to. That in a wet dream, only if the semen exits after a wet dream, you have to make ghusl. If it doesn't, then there's no ghusl. Whereas the hadith of Abu Huraira is referring to actual intercourse, not a dream. Actual intercourse, actual reality of intercourse. If a person penetrates between the husband and the wife, penetration occurs, then even if seminal fluid doesn't exit, you still have to make the ghusl. So everybody understand the difference there? In a dream, even if penetration occurs, as long as semen does not exit, there's no ghusl. In a dream, the semen must exit for there to be ghusl. Whereas in reality, physically, actually, then when penetration occurs, ghusl is obligatory straight away, even if the semen hasn't exited. Is that clear? Everybody understands, huh? Mm. That is the answers with regards to that. So therefore you would understand, you would understand therefore that if a person has a wet dream and semen exits, then what's upon him? (laughs) Ghusl. If a person has a wet dream or uh, a dream regarding intercourse but no fluids exit, then what's upon him? Nothing. If a person has actual intercourse and fluids exit, what's upon him? Ghusl. If a person has intercourse and no fluids exit, what's upon him? غصل. That's it. After that, وعن ام سلمة رضي الله عنها ان ام سليم وهي مِرْأَةُ ابي طلحه قالت يا رسول الله ان الله لا يستحي من الحق فهل على الْمَرْأَةِ من غسل اذا احتلمت قال نعم اذا رات الماء متفق عليه hadith حذيف ام سلمة رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عنها, and her name was Hind, the daughter of Abi Umayyah, Ummul Muminin, the wife of the Prophet ﷺ. She says that, or rather, well, you can explain more of her biography, Umm Salama, Umm Salama, the narrator of this hadith, رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عنها, her name was Hind, the daughter of Abi Umayyah, Ummul Muminin. she was the wife of the Prophet ﷺ. And she used to be uh, the wife of Abu Salama radiallahuan. But when he died, then the Prophet married her after that. She narrates from Umm Sulaim, and she is who? Who was Umm Sulaim? Um Sulaim, um who is being spoken about here, was the mother of Anas ibn Malik. She was the mother of Anas ibn Malik رضي الله عنه. و كانت تحت أبي طلحة الأنصاري رضي الله and She was uh, with Abu Talha al-Ansari رضي الله عنه. بعد موت زوجها Malik Anas. She was originally married to Malik, as you know, Anas ibn Malik. So originally she was married to a man by the name of Malik. However. When Malik died, the father of Anas ibn Malik رضي الله عنه, then she married Abu, uh, Abu Talha al-Ansari رضي الله عنه. Uh, uh, نعم. Then after that, and he mentions how he died as a disbeliever originally. Uh, he died as a disbeliever, he did not become Muslim. Then after that Abu Talha married her. So that was regarding Malik. Malik died as a disbeliever and then uh, Abu Talha married her. So she says, Ya Rasulullah, she said to the Prophet ﷺ, Allah 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 subhanahu wa ta'ala is not shy from the truth. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not shy away from the truth. There is no shyness in the truth. There is no shyness in the truth. As-shaykh Fauzan, says, why did Umm Salim say this at the beginning? Why did she begin with that statement? هذه مقدمة قالتها أم سليم رضي الله عنها لتعتذر بها عن الذي ستسأل عنه رسول صلى الله عليه وسلم مما تستحي المرأة من ذكره عادة وخاصة أمام الرجال She mentioned this as an introduction to her question that there is no shyness. Allah سبحانه وتعالى there is no shyness in this religion. She mentioned that at the beginning before asking her question because... Typically, this is the type of question that somebody would be shy to ask. The question that she's about to ask now, as you will see, is something that a woman would be shy to ask, especially if you're asking a man. It would be something that you would typically be shy to ask and be embarrassed to ask. So, she mentioned this at the beginning that there is no shyness. And for that purpose, I'm going to ask this question. And that is regarding the wet dream of a woman. It is regarding the wet dream of a woman. So that is something you would be shy to ask about, especially if the woman was asking a male about it. Because affairs of the religion, it is not befitting that embarrassment or shyness prevents you from finding out about those affairs of the religion. Embarrassment and shyness should not stop you from learning about the religion. Fahuna yakunul haya madhumen. If somebody is embarrassed or shy from asking about things to do with the religion because they're too embarrassed or shy to ask, then that is dispraiseworthy. That is not a good characteristic to be shy and embarrassed from asking about the issues of the religion. About the religion, you need to know about them. You need to know how to do worship, how to obey Allah. وَهُوَ خَجَلًا وَضَعْفًا And that is known as uh, humility, embarrassment, and weakness. وَأَمَّا الْمَحْمُودِ فَهُوَ الَّذِي يَمْنَعُ صَاحِبَهُ مِنَ الْأَخْلَاقِ وَالْأَفْعَالِ الْقَبِيحَةِ As for the praiseworthy shyness and humbleness and humility, then that is the type which prevents you from doing evil actions and disgusting actions. Shyness and humbleness and humility that prevents you from disobedience and evil actions, that's praiseworthy. But shyness that prevents you from learning your religion and asking about your religion, that's dispraiseworthy. So then, after saying that, or rather her statement, Inna Allah la yastahi min al is taken from the Quran, where it says, Inna dalikum kana yu'thi nabiya fa yastahi minkum, Wallahu la yastahi min al And Allah is not uh, shy of the truth. Also, there's another ayah where Allah states in Surah Al-Baqarah, "Inna Allah la yastahi an yadzraba mithalama b'ayooda fama fauqaha." Allah is not shy or embarrassed to make the example of a fly or something uh, of that nature or smaller or greater. Allahu Jalalahu ala yubayyin al wa So Allah clarifies the truth and makes it clear to the people. Yusuf bil-hayaa kama fil so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, despite this shyness that is attributed or the humbleness or the modesty that does not prevent the truth from being clarified and explained. so this shyness it does not prevent a person from asking about religious things. Don't be embarrassed about things to ask if it is to do with your religion. So then she asked the Prophet ﷺ, "هل على المرأة من غسل إذا حتمت?" If a woman has a wet dream, then does she have to make ghusl? If a woman has a wet dream, then does she have to make ghusl? So what is a wet dream? Whoa, ما يراه النائم من عملية الجماع يخيل إلى النائم أنه يجامع، وذلك يخيل إلى المرأة أن زوجها أو غيره يجامعها. And that is when an individual he uh, has vision of intercourse in his sleep, and as a consequence of this vision of intercourse in his sleep, uh, of himself engaging in intercourse or of that nature, then semen may exit. That is the wet dream. So she asks, if a woman has this type of wet dream, is there uh, a ghusl upon her?. So the Prophet said, "Yes, if liquids exit. If she sees some liquids afterwards, wakes up and sees liquids. So if liquids have exited, then yes. So just like a male, if he sees liquids have exited when he awakens, then a woman similarly, if she sees liquids have exited upon awakening. And she remembers the wet dream as a consequence of that these liquids have exited, and she sees those liquids, then upon her is to make the ghusl just like a man. As for a wet dream that does not cause any liquids to be released, then that does not necessitate ghusl anna al mani, So if a male or a female uh, has a vision of intercourse in their sleep, but no liquids are released, no semen is released, then there is no whussal upon that person, male or female. But if the liquids are released as a consequence of the wet dream, then the whusal is upon that person. So this hadith indicates several issues. The first of them سؤال أهل العلم فإن أم سليم رضي الله عنها سألت النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم عن هذه المسألة العظيمة عن هذه المسألة العظيمة التي تنتفع بها النساء المسلمين فكانت سبب خير. So the first issue is that you ask the people of knowledge about your religion. You ask them about your religion. So here أم سليم رضي الله عنها she asked the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم about this issue and that ruling is something that the women will continue to benefit from. This ruling about the wet dream for a woman. Almas Alathania. Anna Hulayah Juzuan yamna' Al Hayah Umina Suali an Ummuriddin. Lafi Hakta Rajal Wallafi Hakkin Nisa Walihada Kanat Aisha radiallahu anha Tuthni Alla Nisailan Sarfi Anna Huna Yas Alna Walayamna Hunna al Hayah al Sual and Umuridin him. So humility or embarrassment or shyness should not prevent you about or from asking about your religion and gaining knowledge of your religion. Male or female, even for the women, the shyness should not prevent you from asking about your religion and learning about your religion. That's why Aisha anha she used to say, she used to praise the women of the Ansar and say how good those women are because their humility or their shyness and their their humbleness, their, their, their modesty does not prevent them from finding out about their religion and asking about their religion. The third issue لا المني, that the wet dream does not necessitate a, a ghusl except if semen actually exits. If a person has a wet dream but there is no semen in the morning, then there is nothing to have the ghusl for. There is no obligation of the ghusl in that instance. The fourth issue is الرجل, that a woman may also exit from her liquids. It is possible that a woman liquids may exit from her, just like liquids exit from an individual, uh, from a male, sorry. Just as liquids exit from a male, then liquids also exit from a woman. And this hadith indicates that. Because the Prophet ﷺ said, if you see liquids have exited as a consequence of the wet dream, then upon you is to make the ghusl. So that is also indicated by this hadith. The next hadith after that, وعن أنس بن مالك رضي الله عنه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم في المرأة ترى في منامها ما يرى الرجل قال تغتسلوا متفق عليه وزاد مسلم فقالت أم سليم وهل يكون هذا قال نعم فمن أين يكون شبه الحديث أنس بن مالك رضي الله عنه he said that the prophet sallallahu الله عليه وسلم said regarding a woman who sees in her dream what a man sees. Meaning that a woman perhaps has a dream where she views intercourse or is engaging in intercourse, just as a man may have a dream where he is engaging in intercourse. What is the ruling on that? The Prophet ﷺ said, تَغْتَسِلْ In that case she makes the ghusl. Just like we said, if she has that wet dream and the liquids are released then she must make the ghusl. That hadith is متفق Bukhari Bukhariya Muslim. Muslim then added, فَقَالَتْ أُمْ سُلَيْمِ And then Umm سُلَيْمْ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عنها said, وَهَلْ يَكُونُ And can that actually occur? Can that actually occur? The liquids be released from a woman. About the man it's known, but the woman too. So the Prophet ﷺ said, Yes, نَعَمْ فَمِنْ أَيْنَ يَكُونَ الشبح? Otherwise, where does the resemblance come from in the children? Where does the resemblance come from in children? If there was no liquids or anything released from the woman, then when the children are born, why is it that certain children have a resemblance to their mothers? Because of those liquids that were released. But that will come now in the explanation. anhu The hadith. So this hadith is similar to the previous one in a way, that it explains that if a woman has a wet dream and liquids are released, then she must make the ghusl. However, there is an addition in this hadith. إلا أن في هذا الحديث زيادة فائدة كما في رواية مسلم أن أم سلم رضي الله عنها تعجبت من هذا. It's mentioned in the narration of Sahih Muslim that Um Suleim رضي الله عنها she became surprised at this that a woman liquids can be released from a woman too. She became surprised at this. يعني من كون المرأة يخرج منها مني. That a woman, these seminal liquids can exit from her, or certain types of those liquids can exit from a woman. فَقَالَتْ وَهَلْ يَكُونُ هَذَا So she said, can this even occur? يعني هَلْ يَخْرُجْ مِنَ الْمَرْأَةِ شَيْءٍ Meaning, does liquids exit from a woman too? فَقَالَ نَبْسَ صَلَّمَ So the Prophet ﷺ said, نَعَمْ وَمِنَيْنَ يَكُونُ الشَّبَى Yes, otherwise where does the resemblance come from in children, to their mothers? يعني الْمَرْأَةُ تُمْنِي وَيَخْرُجْ مِن وَالدَّلِيلُ عَلَى ذَلِكَ وَجُودُ شبه بِأُمِّهِ أَوْ بقارب أمه. And the evidence that there are liquids that are released from the woman too is the fact that her children will have resemblance to her. Certain children, you know, as the people they say, he's gone off his mother, or she's gone off her mother, i.e. she resembles her. She resembles her in her physical appearance as well as other characteristics. That resemblance in the physical appearance is as a consequence of the fact that there are liquids that are released by the woman also. So if a child is born, and the resemblance is to the mother, the physical resemblance, the appearance, that child looks like the mother, then that indicates that at the time of intercourse, the liquids of the mother overcame or reached the area, the embryo, etc. before the liquids of the man, or they overcame the liquids of the man. وإذا جاء الشبه من قبل الأب فهذا دليل على إنما الرجل على وغلب على مني المرأة and if the child is born looking like his father then that indicates that the liquids of the father overcame the liquids of the mother at the time of the uh, uh, the intercourse and the uh, conception and that is because the sheikh says the liquids of the father and the liquids of the mother they meet and they come together in the womb فالمرأة تُنْزِلُ والرَّجُلُ يُنْزِلُ وَيَشْتَمِي أُمَعْهُمَا so the man releases liquid and the woman releases liquid at the time of intercourse and they meet وَمَنِ اشْتِمَعْهِمَا يُخْلِقُ الْجَنِينَ then from the meeting of those liquids that's where the embryo is created وَلِهَذَا يَقُولُ سُبْحَانَهُ وَtَعَالَاهُ and that's why it's mentioned in the Quran the ayat of how that occurs هَلَّا أَتَّعَلَى الْإِنْسَانِيْنِمِنْمِنَ الدَّهْرِ لَمْ يَكُنْ شَيْئًا مَذْكُورًا إنا خلقنا الإنسان من نطفة أمشاج. These ayat referring to this أمشاج uh, meaning مختلط نطفة أمشاج يعني مختلطة من ماء الرجل ومن ماء المرأة. That we created humans from the mixed uh, the mixed compound. And that's in the Quran أمشاج من نطفة أمشاج. We created the humans from this mixed compound, i.e. the fluids of the woman and the fluids of the male. So that is in the Quran. There's another hadith <coughs> about the resemblance. Mm-hmm. Perhaps that may come later on. But you're right, there's another narration too about the, uh, the Prophet said that if the liquid of the father goes first, it uh, goes ahead, then the resemblance goes to the father. And if the liquid of the mother goes first and goes ahead, then it is the resemblance to the mother. And that is similar to what we are saying that one overrides the other, one supersedes the other. Whichever one supersedes the other, the resemblance goes to the father or the mother, depending on which liquid supersedes the other or uh, overwhelms the other. Then the sheikh says, تَرَى الْمَوْلُودُ يَكُونُ تَارَةً يَكُونُ لِأَبَائِهِ مِنْ جِهَةِ الْأَبِ وَتَارَةً يَكُونُ لِأَبَائِهِ وَأَخْوَالِهِ مِنْ جِهَةِ الْأُمِّ فَقَدْ يَكُونُ كُلٌّ مِنَ الْأَبَوينَ أَصْوَدَ الْأَبُ أَصْوَدَ فيكون شبهه إلى جد بعيد نزعه عرق كما قال عليه سلم فالشبه قد يكون لجد بعيد من أجداد الجنين وقد يكون لجد قريب وأب قريب ولذلك لا يستغرب إذا خالف لون الولد لون أبويه بأن كان مثلا أبيضين وجاء الولد أسود أو بالعكس كان الأبوان أسودين وجاء الولد أبيض لا يستغرب هذا لأنه نزع عرق Ba'eed. The Sheikh says due to this issue of the liquids, it is sometimes possible that maybe a child that is born looks like his father. And sometimes maybe he looks like the uh, mother side. It's possible he may look like the father's side, he may look like the mother side. Sometimes the Sheikh says it is even possible that both parents Maybe, for example, dark-colored in skin. Maybe both parents are dark-skinned. However, the child comes out with white skin. It is possible because it may be due to one of his great-great-great-grandfathers who was white. And that comes through the lineage. The liquids came through the lineage from son to son to son, born from the liquids of their father's to the extent that this individual is now born from that ascendancy, from that lineage, and he may be white, and his parents are both black, or the opposite, his parents may be both dark or uh, white, and the child may come out dark. That is possible. ولهذا لما على بعض الرجال ولده أسود وتشكك في أمراته. That's why it's narrated where there was an individual who was confused or it was problematic to him that his son was born dark-skinned. Even though he was of the, not of that nature and his wife of, was not of that nature. So he doubted his, his wife that perhaps this child was not his. <laughs> so he came to ask the Prophet The Prophet said to him in response to that when he said that our child is dark in skin color and we are not. So he was doubting his wife, maybe this was not his child. The Prophet ﷺ said, هَلَّكَ مِنْ إِبْلِ Do you have any camels? He said, yes. قَالْ مَا أَلْوَانُهَا He said, what are their colors? What color are they? He said, Humar, uh, red. Hal min awraq? Are there any from amongst them which are a bright type of color, a, a white type of color? قَالَ He said, well, how has that occurred then? He said, Yes, there are some who are different in color. He said, Well, how is the Prophet said to him, Well, how has that occurred? How has that occurred if all of your camels are red camels and you have some which are different color? How has that occurred? So then he said to him, irq, irq. He said, Maybe that is because of this, uh, like the lineage and the liquids, etc. And maybe that is what occurred to your son also. This is the same reasoning. أن الشبه تارة يكون من قبل الأب وأقاربه وتارة يكون من قبل الأم وأقاربها. so sometimes the resemblance might be from the father side and the relatives on that side, or it may be from the mother side and the relatives on the mother side. وقد يكون لقريب من المولود. and sometimes the resemblance may be to some relative close to the father or the mother of the child born, and sometimes it may be from somebody far away in the lineage. but it's possible. Uh, and this resemblance can be in the color; it can be even in characteristics, how a person behaves, his morals, his characteristics, his nature. That can also be something that is inherited. قَدْ يَأْتِي الْمَوْلُودُ عَلَى طَبِيعَةٍ وَأَخْلَاقِ أَبَائِهِ مِنَ الْأَبِّ مِنْ طِبَالِ الْأُمِّ يَتَخْلُقُ بِأَخْلَاقِ الْأُمِّ أَقَارِبِهَا وَبِأَخْلَاقِ الْأَبِّ أَقَارِبِهِ فَاللَّهُ يَخْلُقُ مَا شَاءَ وَكَيْفَ شَاءَ وَهُوَ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ and so sometimes Allah subhan- so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala He creates as He pleases. Sometimes the child will resemble from his father's side, sometimes it will resemble from his mother's side. But all of that, the point of it was to indicate that the woman also has liquids that are released. So that's why the Prophet said, Woman Aina yakunu when Umm Salim said, Can the woman actually have liquids released from her? the Prophet said yes. Otherwise, where is the resemblance that where does the resemblance come from otherwise? اذا جاء او بقاربها فهذا ماء الام غلب على ماء الاب if the resemblance comes from the mother's side then that indicates that the resemblance has come as a consequence of the liquids of the mother superseding and overriding and overcoming the liquids of the father فهذه من من That is from the miracles of the Prophet. This is 1430 years ago. Fourteen hundred and thirty four years ago now. Where the Prophet was telling us about these things about this resemblance and about the liquids and how they meet and the embryo and all of these affairs. So that indicates a miracle from the miracles of the Prophet that this was from the revelation to him, clarifying these affairs. So this hadith indicates. Same as what the last one indicated that a woman if she has a wet dream she, and the liquids are released that she must make the ghusl. And the hadith just explains even further that there are uh, release of liquids from a woman also and that's where the resemblance comes from for a child. Uh, the next hadith... And Aisha radiallahu anhu ka'anan Nabiyu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yagtesilu min Arba. Aisha radiallahu anha said that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to make ghusl from four affairs. Min al-janaba, from the sexual impurity. Wa yawm al-jum'a, on the Friday. Wa min al-hijama, after making the cupping, the release of the blood from your body, the cupping that we explained before. Wa min ghusl al-mayyit, and after washing the dead person. Rawahu Abu Dawood wa sahaha ibn Khuzeema. Abu Dawood narrated it, Ibn Khuzayma authenticated it. So, what is the meaning of this particular narration? So, Aisha said that the Prophet used to make the ghusl from four affairs. Ya'ani min arba'i halat, i.e., in four circumstances, in four situations. First of them is min al janaba. And that is clear, that is the sexual impurity that we have been speaking about now. And the evidence for that is in the Qur'an. وَإِن كُنْتُمْ جُنُوبًا And if you are in a state of sexual impurity, then purify yourselves. So that is clear and it is in the Qur'an. A state of sexual impurity, the ghusl must be made from it. The second situation that is mentioned is يوم الجمعة. هَذَا أَيْضًا صَحَّتْ بِهِ الْأَحَادِيثِ كَمَا سَيَأْتِي فِي الْأَحَادِيثَ سَلَّمْ Fridays, making the ghusl on Fridays, there are authentic narrations about it also. About making the ghusl on a Friday. There are authentic narrations about that which are going to come, in fact. They are still going to come, insha'Allah. And the scholars they differ about the Friday. Some of them said it's obligatory. Some of them said it is obligatory to have the ghusl on a Friday. Some of them said no, it is just mustahab. Something highly recommended, recommended but not obligatory and some of them gave more details to the affair and that detail will come later on إن شاء الله uh, وَالْمُهِمْ أَنَّ هَذَا الغسل خِلَافَ فِي مشروعيته. but the point is that there is no difference of opinion that it is legislated the ghusr on a Friday is legislated what the ruling on it is is it legislated as an obligation or is it legislated as just a mustahab act that's something else that we'll discuss later but the point is, it is legislated to have a ghusl on Fridays. Also al-hijama. Al-hijama, it it is releasing the blood or extracting the blood from a person using those uh, utensils or tools that we explained before. Um, so when a person does this, uh, it is a type of prophetic medicine as we know. وخلاصة الْقَوْلِ بِأَنَّ الْحِجَامَةَ طِبُّ النَّبَوِيِّ it is a, a medicine from the prophetic medicines. فَقَدْ And the Prophet used to make the hijama. And he uh, uh, guided the people to do that also. Where he said in one narration, shifa fi thalatha Cure is in three things. شَرْطَةُ مِحْجَمْ وَشَرْبَةُ عَسَلُ وَكَيَّةِ النَّارِ وَأَنَا أَنْهَى أُمَّتِي عَنِ الْكَيْ From the hijama and from the honey and from the cauterization. Getting a hot rod and burning it. But then he said, I prevent my uh, nation from using the cauterization, the hot rods to burn the skin or to close the wounds, etc. So this hadith indicates that the Prophet used to make the ghusl from the hijama also, from the cupping also. وَمِنْ غُسْلِ And from washing the corpse, the dead person. إِذَا غَسَلَ الْإِنسَانُ الْمَيِّتَ فَإِنَّهُ يُسْتَحَبُّ And we mentioned that before that if a person, he washes the dead body, it is mustahab for him to go and make the ghusl. These are four instances that are mentioned in the hadith that the Prophet used to make the rusl in. However, the final two, the cupping and the dead body, al-hijama lam They are not authenticated from the Prophet We don't have authentic narrations of proof proving that you must make rusl after the hijama, the cupping or that you must make ghusl after the washing of the dead body. For Hadith Aisha, So the Hadith of Aisha, عنها, this particular narration, is actually very weak. It is actually a very weak narration. شيبة, because in the chain of narration is Mus'ab ibn Shaybah. They spoke about him, the scholars, a lot regarding his memorization and his accuracy. They said his memorization of hadith and his accuracy was very bad. وَمِن نَاحِيَةِ النَّكَارَةِ And that he used to narrate narrations that are in contradiction and completely wrong. So the hadith is weak. وَلِهَذَا يَقُولُ بَعْضُ الْأَئِمَّةِ كَالْإِمَامَ أَحْمَدُ وَغَيْرُ لم يثبت في هذا الباب أو لم يصح في هذا الباب شيء. يعني الاغتسال من الحجام وصل الميت لم يصح فيهما (laughs) an Rasulullah. <laughs> That's why some of the scholars like Imam Ahmad said, there is no proof, nothing established, for having to make the ghusl after cupping, or after washing the dead person. In any case, this hadith does not indicate obligation, because it was the action of the Prophet ﷺ he used to do these for, uh, as the hadith apparently indicates. And just because the Prophet did it, doesn't mean that it's obligatory for us to do it. ma Rather it indicates that it is mustahab. So even if the hadith was authentic, the point that it proves is, at the very best, is that it is recommended for you to have ghusl in these circumstances. The final two especially, uh, that it is recommended to have the ghusl in those circumstances and not that it is obligatory in the cupping or the washing of the dead body. As for the other two, then they are mentioned in any case in other authentic narrations that we will come to from next time, insha'Allah ta'ala. And my next hadith will be uh, the hadith of Abu Hurairah. Uh, the hadith of Abu Hurairah regarding when a person becomes Muslim. When a person first becomes Muslim, enters into Islam, and the ghusl that he has to make, that issue, that will be the issue that we begin with insha'Allah, from next session. So we'll conclude there for now. Assalamu Alaihi wa